0: Hello and welcome to Highway to Electric Future, a podcast series brought to you by Sheru. This is a series that looks at the change in the energy landscape that's underway across the world and in India and brings you the various aspects of it. Across the series, we bring you CXOs from startups and incumbents, the teams behind them, investors, academics, policy researchers, and so on. I'm Kavin, your host for the series, and hosting this podcast along with me is Ankit Mittal, co-founder and CEO of Sheru.
1: Hey Kavin, great initiative. We are working with a lot of subject matter experts. So looking forward to hosting them across the series as well.
0: So a lot of exciting things up on the series. So in our very first episode, we'll be talking about Sheru's own journey. Joining us uh, as guests today are Shika Sharma, co-founder and CEO of Sheru and Nakul Mehan, co-founder and CTO of Sheru. Hey Shika, thanks for taking time out of your daily grind and joining us on the podcast.
2: Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me here.
0: Hey, Nakul. Great to have you here. And uh, we hope we don't keep you away from your batteries uh, for too long.
3: Thanks for having me here.
0: So before we delve into how Sheru operates and uh, the insights into that, Ankit, could you tell us a little bit about the story behind the inception of Sheru and uh, how it all started?
1: So Kavan, Sheru was born out of a very simple idea that the three of us had that we wanted to work on sustainable technologies. We started doing a lot of projects in back in college itself. By the way, we are friends for approximately 10 years now first met in uh, the first year of Bits Pilani where we uh, did our uh, graduation in Electronics. Uh, so we started working on different technologies. We started working on battery tech, we started working on charging. We also, for a brief period of time, we worked on a solar car as well. So we were very excited about different kinds of sustainable technologies. We even tried our hand at multiple industries. But we found out that electric vehicles was something that was the most obvious to us. And they weren't in India back when we started exploring electric vehicles. So they were growing primarily outside India. And we saw that majority of that growth is not coming to India as of yet. And we were very intrigued by the concept that why is it not happening in India? And that is where our journey began back in 2017. We figured that uh, battery has a very high stake in EVs. And I think uh, Nakul can add a couple of points on this, uh, how batteries were pointed out as to be the most critical component in EVs and how do we manage them becomes a very important thing. But basically, uh, batteries account for around 50 percent cost to the vehicle they have very complex to manage their life and their use in addition to that there is no service network no recharging infrastructure out there so basically you have this very interesting technology in front of you which you want to transition to, which makes a lot of sense to you, but a component of it is not really solved for in terms of its complete life cycle. So that is what we identified as the biggest problem and it became a very complex decision uh, point for the vehicle owner. Which battery to use, which recharging method would be the best, how would they recharge the batteries whether they would use public infra or not. So a lot of these questions were supposed to be answered. So basically we started Sheru with the intent of solving for all these questions and deliver a cloud-like experience to the owners of electric vehicles by building a pay-per-use energy platform for electric mobility businesses. So the
0: battery is the most complex part of an electric vehicle and uh, you want to solve for that basically. Yes. So I'll get to Nakul's uh, insights into battery tech later on. So a lot of visibility that is there in electric vehicles is mostly in terms of uh, personal vehicles like cars or two wheelers where uh, most of the news and the coverage is from. How did you come to address the market for e-rickshaws uh, specifically?
1: So e rickshaw is a very genuine innovation for India. e rickshaw solved a very interesting use case for bottom of the pyramid which accounts for 80% of the families in India. e rickshaw solve for short distance commute which accounts for around 70 to 90 percent of trip distance in India and it is the next cheapest option of commute after public buses. So e-rickshaws actually fit into a very niche gap in India which was available at scale but no one was really looking at it because it was at the bottom of the pyramid. So e-rickshaws turned out to be the flag bearer of electric vehicles in India and account for around 92 percent of the entire EV installed base in India right now. Additionally, when it comes to B2C products, we saw that a lot of uh, stake is there in terms of product aspiration from the consumer side. A lot of work has to be done in terms of building an aspirational product for the consumer and that is something that will happen over a period of time and we saw that the adoption for EVs, because, uh, and, and that is something that is evident from e-rickshaws. a lot of that adoption we believe that uh, will come first from commercial categories. So, Solving for the capex, the recharging and the service, all these is something which is not really aspirational for, or a, for a commercial category to transition to electric vehicles. All they want is a, a sandbox solution for this. And that is something that we are solving with the, with the help of our technology platform.
0: So what are the gaps that are uh, filled by this technology platform at Sheru and how exactly does this platform work?
1: So basically what we do is uh, we have built an AI driven platform which manages the complete life cycle of the battery. So first of all it creates a digital twin of the battery with the help of which we are able to understand what kind of return could be expected out of investing in this asset, how the usage has to be moderated so that the return could be maximized, how could we build the application layer on top of it so that the usage could be made frictionless for the end customer. So the platform basically connects manufacturers, financiers, and operators together in a seamless manner and solves for all these problems on top of them And creates a sandbox for the owner of the vehicle so that they don't really have to get into any of the three big problems that come with EVs, whether it's capex, whether it's recharging, or whether it's service. So, the platform basically takes care of the entire thing and delivers a completely paper use or I would rather say paper kilometer experience for the owner of the vehicle. Now, just to put scale into perspective, there are approximately 2 million registered and 3 million unregistered e rickshaws in India which are carrying these problems with them every day. They're buying cheap, unsafe lead-acid batteries and wasting approximately 12 hours in recharging in makeshift structures. And they're doing a meager income of roughly 300 to 400 rupees per day after expenses. Tez platform is something which has allowed many drivers to double their income. And this is something which was, this category was highly disrupted by COVID-19 lockdowns. So basically it rolled back all the progress that India made in terms of EV adoption and We really had to work towards protecting this because the network that could be unlocked, the value that could be unlocked by making this category sustainable, could add a lot of value to all the other categories which are now upcoming in terms of EVs in India.
0: Right. And that was a period that was not just difficult for Sheru, but for most businesses and they had to adapt to survive. Uh, Shika, could you tell us if there were any changes made at Sheru during the pandemic with respect to operations to deal with the situation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, COVID was a, uh, quite a difficult time for us and the operations were affected drastically. Uh, most of the collections that were happening from e drivers was in the form of cash and we had to literally train our drivers to move to online modes of payments. Uh, we also had to bring in quite a few social distancing norms so that we could keep our drivers as well as our station executives or field executives safe. We also decided to completely automate our uh, swapping operations uh, wherein before we were doing kind of a manual uh, swap operation wherein a Sheru representative had to be present on ground to take and give a battery to the driver. We completely moved to an automatic, uh, automated solution wherein the driver came to our battery swapping machine, put in his login credentials and the entire swap was done automatically. So this also kind of helped uh, in turn to reduce the touch points with our executives and uh, you know helped us to get through covid times.
0: So there's a greater move towards the use of tech to follow safety norms and all of a greater use in operations. And I think this has been something that has been seen across many businesses as well across uh, segments. So how did changes made during the pandemic enable Sherio to survive this difficult uh, business period?
2: Yeah. uh, So interestingly, we uh, decided to decelerate our growth during this time period and uh, focus on profitability. This helped us to kind of consistently realize 50% CM2 margins and drastically reduce our crash burn we were able to extend our runway during this time which kind of helped us to persevere during covid lockdowns we also kind of uh, decided to focus quite a bit on the customer understand his experiences and you know improve the product in general
0: customer focus during any time uh, is essential for a business to survive but i think during covid uh, it became like extremely paramount so what were the feedback that you received from customers and what were the changes that you made on that front
2: yeah, you're absolutely. Like right. the customer focus should should be the first thing that uh, we should go about. But uh, what we realized was that uh, most of these people uh, were uh, most of the battery operators were kind of doing a pay per swap kind of a model. And when we interacted with the drivers, with the customers, with our customers, we realized that these guys were uh, these guys' expenses were directly linked to the number of kilometers that they were driving. So Yeah. So we decided to shift uh, to a pay per kilometer model because that that fits uh, quite well with the expenses and the revenues of the driver, the unit economics of the driver. And we decided that uh, we're going to concentrate on our driver the most and try to increase the utilization of the entire network that we were building. So these all things, I mean, uh, still help us in, you know, framing, uh, you know, taking our decisions. And even today we are realizing 50% month on month growth.
0: So during the pandemic, has there been any uh, change with respect to drivers' preference to a spapping model instead of the charging model or uh... Has the pandemic impacted uh, their preference in any manner?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, most of these drivers uh, had, uh, during co- COVID lockdowns had actually exhausted their savings. So our business actually grew quite a lot after the lockdowns because the drivers really had no money to invest in assets, which is batteries and capex in general is a very uh, is a very big issue in EVs, right? So because the batteries uh, couldn't be bought by the drivers, they had to move to a pay-per-use model. And that is what we were providing, which uh, fit well into the entire system. So, The drivers started loving our service and uh, basically they were playing uh, paying for whatever kilometers they were driving in a single day.
1: That
0: is really fascinating. But uh, these were all in the operational side of things. So has there been any change, a transition to business model that uh, took place uh, on the tech side of things as well, Nakul?
3: Yes, definitely, Kavan. So, as as Shikhar earlier mentioned, right? So before uh, we were uh, we were doing a per swap basis kind of a model, right? And which is parable uh, uh, to a, a rental kind of a financial model. So a simple change to our business model, in which we decided to make it a paper use energy platform, actually brought about a huge architectural change to our technology stack, right? So. When we were in the process of making this paper use energy platform, so we realized that there would be a lot of agents as well as partners that we would have, right? Uh, starting from battery finances to collection agents to logistical agents to to a lot of other people who would be just orchestrating the system, and they would be communicating via our platform to help themselves with the information flow. They would be making different financial models for different all-cross integrations across the platform, right? So this required for our whole platform to be extremely modular. When I'm talking about modularity, I'm not talking about you know, software kind of modularity in which similar functions could be used in the course. I am talking about business level modularity. The semantics that we were using was that we have microservices inside our platform, which, which govern higher level business semantics, like onboarding as a service, analytics as a service, visualization as a service, which kind of go as an assisted AI to all of our partners. So everyone is trying to communicate. or or you know, interact or add more value by the interconnected resources that we have. And they are able to do that. They are able to explore more by the assisted AI that we have created for all of. The second change that we actually observed was That initially we were much more the software side of things, but uh, when we realized that the battery asset can actually never be used uh, without having a certain kind of intelligence or without, you know, uh, unless we are extremely sure about the the safety of the asset. So we had to integrate, we had to actually take control of the whole stack. Before we knew it, we were neck deep in the hardware scheme of things, the firmware scheme of things, (laughs) and obviously the software scheme of things, right? and uh, the whole integration to make it a seamless uh, experience for our drivers or for all of our partners.
0: Fascinating and a lot of changes that took place. And uh, also segues very well into the next section that I had in mind, which is talking about batteries. So, Nakul, is there a difference when it comes to batteries for larger vehicles such as cars and ones such as e Shaw's? I mean, uh, for a person who does not uh, come from a very technical background, is there any
3: clear difference that is there in these batteries? Oh, yes, yes, a lot of difference. So, Mother, I would start with the philosophy that we run by, right? We imagine a world in which all of our customers have full control over the energy that they consume, be it at a house level, be it at a mobility level. Every different user profile, according to us, requires different solutions. So, taking for an example just one metric, let's say it's battery sizing, right? It's affected bias by so many things Yeah, what of the kind of uh, let's first observe it from the user perspective right so what kind of application would it be used for would it be personal or commercial commercial would require you to have a larger range personal might require lesser intraday range right then what are the kind of temperatures that it would be running for because that would considerably uh, increase or decrease the size of the battery depending on what what kind of range you would be expecting over its life cycle uh the power that we would require or the power fading that would be expected all throughout the life cycle of the battery would extremely govern the metrics that people love in vehicles like the top speed that you would be getting the kind of acceleration that you would be getting so a lot of things depend on what kind of user profile you are catering to
0: so is there an issue of interoperability for drivers to shift between different battery technologies or between different companies because a lot of these batteries are specific to certain companies and the technology as well. Is there any work that is going
3: on in interoperability at the,
0: uh, the moment? Mm,
3: yes. Yes. So, uh, so we have to understand this. Okay. So as Shikhar also mentioned earlier, right? Utilization is our North star metric, right? So at the end of the day, uh, no matter how we do it, the utilization has to be the highest through our network, throughout our network. Right? So, uh, so we are continuously working on interoperability. Okay. So interoperability also has different verticals inside it. So right now what we have enabled is kind of uh, geographical interoperability, right? So we are already, uh, you know, even if there's different constituencies or different kind of swapping stations across a, a larger spans of area, we are still able to make everything interoperable by, you know, allowing the drivers to go to cover larger distances, right? and uh, enabling swapping across the regions also let's come to the another vertical of interoperability that we have run so the batteries the battery tech that we have today has a gravimetric density of 170 watt hour per kg which is kind of unheard of in battery swapping right and in terms of volumetric also we are not very far behind we are at 240 watt hour per liter which basically makes our battery very much Usable in two-wheeler as well as three-wheeler applications. Okay, so (laughs) the 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 kind of integrations that are required all across when I'm talking about uh, you know having the same form factor or the same kind of battery tech across two-wheelers and three-wheelers is uh, is not obviously a piece of pie, right? I think we are almost seventy percent there, and we are already able to do that today. So. Third vertical that I would like to expose in terms of interoperability is we are exploring a lot many options of transferring the energy back to the grid, right? So our our to give you an example, right? Our one vending station is uh, capable of providing sixty kilowatt of energy. Again, most of the houses generally consume two kilowatt, right? So our one vending station is capable of running almost thirty houses in a region. That is the kind of quantum. Or uh, that that we have, what are the kind of power capabilities that we have at one of our vending stations? Now imagine that we are able to give this power or use this power for demand response across the grid. Yeah, that is a different kind of interoperability that we are working very actively on. Right, and then let's come to the fourth vertical and the age-old question that we have been asking: for battery swapping or charging? Right. So, so this is an optimization problem for us right we don't see them as two different verticals okay what we see is key if a certain application requires swapping where the I time or the uptime that we are looking for has a lot more value than the time that it might require for charging then it definitely makes sense so it's just an optimization problem and our technology stack actually enables us our features of interoperability enables the batteries to be designed in a way such that they are not fixed and they can be used both for charging as well as for swapping and you know everything the product requirement went that way such that all of these just become an optimization problem for us.
0: There's a lot of interesting stuff about interoperability, not just between different vehicle classes but between vehicles and the grid as well. Coming to the user experience of these batteries, I'm curious to know what has been the feedback from the drivers on moving to a different tech. A lot of users probably don't have prior experience with lithium-ion technology, and they used to lead-acid batteries. So, what has been the feedback uh, from them regarding their use of
2: these? So, uh, lithium-ion technology has been has uh, pretty much been a game changer uh, in this market right now, because the weight of the batteries that these guys were earlier using came to around 120 kgs, which we have drastically reduced to around 16 to 17 kgs right now. What this does is two things. First of all, the weight on the rickshaw basically drastically reduces so the driver is able to get more efficiency out of the rickshaw and probably carry more weight The second thing is these batteries are very, very, very small. Our lithium ion batteries can practically fit in a laptop bag, right? And because the storage capacity increases inherently, because there is more free space on the rickshaw, drivers who are using their vehicles for commercial purposes, like loader e-rickshaws, people who take goods from one place to another, these people can use that storage space to carry more amount of goods, right? One more interesting practical thing uh, that we have seen is that earlier what used to happen with lead-acid batteries is As the battery kept on discharging, the speed of the rickshaw and the acceleration of the rickshaw also kept on reducing. But with lithium-ion batteries, this is not the case. The speed and the acceleration pretty much remains constant throughout, uh, throughout the battery, you know, operating voltages and capacity. This has been a very plus point with the drivers because they don't uh, because they don't have to slow down uh, throughout the entire discharge of the battery.
0: So shifting to lithium-ion basically allows them to go faster, allows them to go farther and allows them to have carry more spaces when they're carrying. Absolutely, absolutely. So what has been the experience with working on hardware from sort of ground up at Sheru?
3: Okay, so first of all, I think we need to understand that when we started building right, the product, so our requirement was to make a robust and resilient product for e-rickshaws which were running on Indian roads so e-rickshaws aren't really of a very sturdy nature right and uh, we also had to provide a range such that it's an optimal balance between charging and swapping right so this this was kind of the first step that uh, we were looking at while we were designing the product requirements for uh, the battery that would be required in this such kind of an environment, right? The other things that uh, came while we started running the pilots and everything was key the battery needed to be extremely connected and need to be powered with technologies like edge computing, you know, some kind of uh, onboard intelligence, and it needs to learn from the data really fast, as well as in a very scalable fashion.
0: That's the tech side of things. So uh, there's also the chemistry involved with batteries, right? Because uh, a lot of these battery chemistry is just a really tricky thing. And that's why it's, it's not become so prevalent at this moment. So how has it been working on the battery chemistry personally for
3: you? covering batteries don't like to be pushed around. Okay? So when people enter this business without knowing about batteries, it really doesn't work out well. So it's uh, so you have to understand what is at stake here. It's just not loss of revenue. We are talking about uh, risk to the safety of driver as well as the passengers. OK, so before we went completely into this, so we took a step back. We did a lot of pilots. I mean, a lot of tests that we did across chemistries, across different kind of cells before we actually launched our first product. And uh, I mean, that was just uh, just just one piece of the puzzle right uh, selecting the right cell was just one thing making a process out of such that we keep on selecting the best cell we keep upgrading ourselves as our platform grows having the right kind of qc processes all across whether it's the electronics whether it's the cell batching whether whether it's the whole integration of the pack whether it's the packaging of the pack whether it's the final gravity testing whether everything had to be sorted and we were point on that, and we spent literally a lot on making sure that these batteries were ready, taken, and the chemistries that we were kind of using were more than capable enough for handling an environment like this.
1: So, just to add more points to it, Kavin. Uh... I think Nakul can elaborate more on the fact that we even tried putting fuses on the cells. I mean we, we I remember the, f- the first battery pack that we made we literally installed a fuse on every cell that was being connected to the copper bus bar and that is something that is unheard of uh, in Indian battery manufacturing market. I mean I think at that point of time we took the inspiration from Tesla and uh, today also we don't see that happening anywhere. Mm, that's true that's true.
0: That's a lot of fascinating insights into how batteries uh, actually work. So, Shikhar had mentioned about uh, feedback from drivers changing how the operations for the business have changed uh, across the year. Does this also apply to batteries as well in terms of how you design them and how you enable their operations?
3: Ah Yes, yes. In last six to seven months, this is the fourth version of a battery that has been out. So, as Shikhar mentioned earlier, right? we are obsessed with our customers and uh, mother, taking feedback from them. Right. So we are not just taking feedback from them. We are taking feedbacks from the battery also, right? Because it's always connected. We are gathering a lot of data from the battery and not just the battery, the chargers and the way the operations are done. We are continuously analyzing them and feeding that all into making, you know, more sustainable operations, better batteries and everything. So this battery has actually improved on a lot of perspectives. Right. Uh, So we have improved thermal management now. We even if the temperature outside is 48 degrees, our batteries never cross 50 degrees. In terms of robustness, we have done ex- extensive testing on the vibration handling of the pack, and now we are able to handle 3G tests in all directional, all orthogonal directions, X, Y, and Z. And you know, given as I was talking about the importance of data that we are recording, right? So we have the capability to predict downtime, right? It's it's a it's the capability that we've worked on from start. We knew the kind of data that we would need today so that I can say that this battery is not gonna work tomorrow or it's gonna have some issue tomorrow. Right? And doing that has been kind of empowering, right? Knowing before having mother having the capability to take pre- preemptive steps before something bad happens or something wrong happens plus the data also allowed us to have full control over the life of an asset also so today we are in the we have the capability to predict that what kind of range the same battery would give given a similar driver or a different kind of a driver and this kind of a temperature, given working on this geography, we can <laughs> predict that also. This, this takes into account the age of the battery, right? Along with so many things that actually affect the range uh, that we are offering.
0: Right. So that's a very on the ground view of how the battery system works and the design behind it and so on. Let's zoom out a little. And how do you see the battery ecosystem as a whole going forward in the coming
3: years? Battery market is actually witnessing an interesting growth. Almost 25% CAGR globally. So, So basically, as far as we have observed in India, as well as in especially in apac regions right so e-mobility and utility scale storage are uh, major responsible for bringing in the economy of scale right so these batteries are gonna actually play a huge role in uh, energy 2.0 so this is the <laughs> the energy ecosystem disruption that we keep talking about right and uh, i think uh, we'll discuss more on that later but the ecosystem is evolving way faster than before uh so Uh, Just considering going on the height cycle graph of lithium-ion, of actually lithium-ion technology. So we are currently, I think we all know this, but we are on the plateau of productivity of lithium-ion. So next in line is lithium-air and lithium-sulfur. Then there are flow batteries, sodium-based, magnesium-based, right? So people are trying to go to more stable electropositive elements so that they can bring in more safety to the battery packs, but they are compromising on something or the other, be it gravimetric density or volumetric density or maybe life, right? Uh, So this is to just say that a lot of different technologies are going to come in and... uh, they are going to have their own custom or their own niche they might have or they might completely disrupt the environment or the kind of applications that we see so we imagine ourselves being in the perfect position to actually bring them in their market and help find niches or you know large scale disruptions for them
1: so adding to knuckles point i think there is a significant push in terms of making the manufacturing process also much more greener than what it is today i think a lot of us has read about the way cobalt is mined and there are a lot of theories around it, but not adding to all the controversy that is out there. I think we fundamentally understand that battery is battery as a technology is here to stay in multiple other categories of the entire economy rather. So for example, when we think about lithium-ion, lithium-ion is a great, great uh, chemistry, it, it, it works out really well. The problem is that it is based on rare earth metals. And that is something that we have to account for when we are building, when, when we are building a product, when we are using the product at scale. So I think there is a significant push in the entire ecosystem to not only think about the battery from a product perspective, but also about its complete life cycle.
0: Nakul mentioned about Energy 2.0 and the deception of the energy ecosystem. Let's talk a little in detail about what Energy 2.0 is and what it signifies for the energy landscape.
1: So, Kavin, I think Energy 2.0, whether it's Energy 2.0 or 3.0, that we don't know. But we know for sure that the energy industry is completely getting disrupted. And this sector is going to see a lot of new innovations across the entire landscape. Earlier, the entire energy sector was completely vertically and uh, unidirectional. So you had centralized production of power, then you had transmission companies there playing their role, then the power distribution companies playing their role and finally the consumer using electricity at residences or in commercial areas. But now we are seeing that the energy can be not only produced in a centralized manner, but also with the help of renewables, it can be produced at a lot of other locations as well. What we'll see down the line is the concept of the rise of a prosumer, basically a consumer which is not only consuming electricity, but also producing electricity. So what that means is that the entire sector will have to be horizontally networked. It will have to be bi-directional. And that is something that is basically leading to an internet of energy. Now you'll probably see in the next few years, uh, one of the terms being commercially used or being used on a day to day level in news. Also, that is a concept of uh, virtual power plants, which is basically aggregating all the energy resources and making them work in synergy so that they act like a singular power plant. And that would include all sorts of energy resources, whether it's the production side, such as solar panels or windmills or whether it is on the storage side, that is batteries probably in your cars, batteries probably in your homes, batteries probably at the grid level itself. Basically, the, all the assets will have to will, will be working in synergy so that the, the benefit of being able to switch towards a greener economy, towards a greener elect- energy sector is made possible. Now, while all of this would be happening, one fundamental shift will also happen in this, that is the power will be intermittent. So it is today, like for example, when we think about the grid today, when we think about the way we are consuming electricity today, uh, it's the responsibility of the grid operators, or I would rather say DISCOMs, to kind of provide a, a 24-7 service to you. But with a more horizontal, horizontally networked ecosystem, uptime is something that will attract a premium. It is not going to be something that could be desired by the consumer or could be expected by them simply because it is they are being delivered electricity uptime is something that would be expect that would attract a different premium and I think there are significant things happening in that direction where premium would be kind of absorbed in the pricing of the electricity itself so today we are paying a slab based pricing on electricity we are paying a certain rupees per unit according to the kva of the meter that we are consuming probably what we are going to see very soon and probably in India as well. The implementation of TOD tariff, which is the time of the day tariff where the price would be fluctuating, price would be varying according to the time of the day and probably it would be done at an interval of one hour as well. So we are going to see a lot of changes in the entire energy sector and that is probably what Energy 2.0 is.
0: Right. A lot of fascinating things about Energy 2.0 there. Uh, Let's just move on to batteries once more and uh, so looking at the price curve of batteries across the 2010s it's been uh, on a declining curve and that's what's been enabling a lot of electric vehicle adoption in the recent years so will it be continuing in across this decade as well in the 2020s and uh, might it have uh, implications for uh, systems such as a swapping system that is used by Sheru? So Kevin,
3: prices are gonna go down further right so but uh, it's likely to stabilize around the point. So, uh, because inherently this is a lithium ion battery, it's already made on rare earth metal, right? So, the supply controls the price a lot. And recently, whether there have been instances, whether right now only after COVID, where the prices have started to go up as well. So, they will remain volatile uh, in my perspective.
2: And to add to what Nakul said, I mean, if the prices go down, definitely we'll be able to pass on the Price benefit to our customers as well, but uh, we have to understand that apart from the capex into batteries, there's another thing at play, which is downtime. There will be, there will definitely be applications, commercial applications, wherein downtime will be an issue, and during this time, the person who does not want to wait out the, you know, the charging time. This person will definitely prefer a swapping kind of a solution, a pay-per-use swapping kind of a solution. And uh, some people kind of believe that uh, low utilization acts as a challenge for, uh, uh, for for swapping operators compared to charging operators. But but I feel that uh, that the kind of, uh, I mean, the way that we're approaching the problem, building a pay-per-use kind of a solution, that kind of inherently solves for the u- low utilization as well. So there's also the
0: concept of or other dimension of uh, fast charging as well in the equation here. Would that uh, impact uh, swapping uh, versus owning a battery or uh, how do you see that continuing? Uh,
2: so so I feel that the infrastructure that is being set up, uh, which which is the grid basically, might not be able to handle all of the fast charging that uh, people are thinking they're going to put up in the future. Uh, we, we are yet to see how the policies develop and how the grid in itself develops and uh, what kind of a chargers are placed uh, in the in the, in the the coming future. Another thing that is to consider is that fast charging tends to reduce the life of the battery. The number of uh, recharge cycles that a battery can deliver are definitely limited and when you charge them fast, they reduce, which inherently reduces the ROI of the battery. Keeping these things in mind, I think we cannot uh, outrightly discount swapping. I think it will definitely be relevant in the future.
0: Right. So speaking of the future, Ankit, could you provide us some insight into how you feel uh, the EV landscape of the future might look look like and where Sheru might feature in, in this uh, EV landscape?
1: So I think Sheru will definitely go through multiple phases. Currently our focus is on e-mobility because there is significant requirement of a full stack solution for a commercial use case out here. And this relevance will continue to exist till we are able to suffice the appetite of the entire commercial sector. And uh, seeing the growth of e-mobility market, we'll have growth opportunities along with it. So And this is not happening just in India, it's happening globally. So the same use case can be sold sold over and over in new geographies as well. But we'll have to identify the different categories which have the highest impact value, just like we identified e-rickshaws in India. We'll have to do the aggregation of the complete supply chain, connect the financers, manufacturers, operators in the platform, make it seamless for the customer to own an EV. So at the end of the day, our objective is to make it as seamless as operating on a cloud for the owner of the EV and not. Worry about investing in batteries, or their cost implications, or the service delivery, distribution, charging, etc. So definitely, there is a big opportunity for us that, given the scale, e-mobility has and the pace at which it is growing. Now, since we are building a platform, we might ourselves act as a business platform for the companies as well, which are pushing the innovation uh, envelope further. And uh, this can further enable the innovation to happen faster. As Nakul has already talked about the chemistries that are being explored at in academia as well as in uh, at, at commercial scale. By a lot of companies having this kind of a platform can can basically supercharge this entire product development life cycle as well and this will not only impact the entire ecosystem in just uh, in terms of price but also in terms of the availability of supply the sustainability of the network and so on so i think in that sense we'll be acting as a business platform for a lot of innovation that's going to come out in this sector so the
0: mobility ecosystem earlier was much more different than how the mobility ecosystem is shaping out to be because in in the coming years and right now the transmission is as it is shaping up it's starting to become a subset of the energy ecosystem as a whole so how would these uh how would these changes impact things
1: so today i mean we have also covered that in a lot of blog posts that we have been coming out within you you yourself have done that today also a lot of electricity is produced with the help of non-renewable resources itself so definitely the fundamental shift that is happening is from a fuel-based economy it is coming to a device based economy so instead of focusing on whether where will the fuel come in because now we are focusing on improving our device efficiencies so that we can use renewable energy much more so that transition is definitely happening also when we look at the the complete framework today like different 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 applications are being served with different fuels uh, there was no unifying framework for it and today what we are looking at is major, almost every country is coming up with their energy policies with keeping electricity as their number one priority in most of the applications in India itself there are 13 applications that have been identified and in nine of them electricity is being uh, promoted as a number one uh, alterna- uh, alternative to switch to from their previous uh, dirty economy e-mobility definitely is going to be the largest of these in that sense I think a lot of innovation will continue to happen in energy sector be it old fuels renewable energy behind them. Meter services, utility scale batteries and I think all these innovations will collectively impact e-mobility as well. It's not like e-mobility is something in silo, it is going to get impacted with what kind of availability we have of electricity at a certain location. As, as I told you earlier also, that we are we are going to probably see time of the day tariff implemented very soon. So, having a utility scale battery can definitely impact the price point at which the transportation in a particular city is operating at. So none of these things are going to be running in silo. They would have impact on each other, definitely. As a platform, our objective would to remain to interface the changes in the energy sector with the platform so that we are always operating at a high utilization scale. Utilization is something that brings financial throughput for all the partners and I think for the next decade, uh, our focus would completely be in increasing and improving the return for all the partners so that all of us can make uh, better returns by working in this sustainable sector as well.
0: Right. And I think we have extensively covered not just shiru's own journey, but also the e-mobility landscape in India, global trends that are getting this change, as well as shiru's own vision for the future in this rapidly evolving area.
1: So, Kavin, there's been a lot of questions from your side, but I think I would love to hear from you. How has your experience been so far with shiru
0: uh, it's been a very rapid and fast-paced learning environment, certainly. I mean, the reason I joined Sheru was because I had an idea of the energy transmission that is going on, and I really wanted to add my bit to it. But there's been a lot of learnings about how it is playing out in mobility specifically that, that I didn't have a uh, lot of in-depth idea about, and I'm getting to know a lot as well. But overall as well, a lot of change that is happening and a lot of uh, learnings that is going on. And not just the overall landscape that is changing, but also what goes on on the ground that enables this change is something that I really had didn't have much idea about, and uh, that's been a great learning experience so far in this uh, this journey that I've been on.
1: What's the most interesting project that you've come across while researching about the energy transformation?
0: I think the scale of the change uh, that's happening is something that, that I didn't really realize as well, even though I had an idea about it. That is something that I found really interesting. And uh, I guess the work that goes on in Shirun itself, helping enable the rapid electrification of three-wheeler market, is one of the most interesting things to me, uh, even though I read a lot more about uh, the overall change that is happening, because... Uh, this is specifically unique to India, but a lot of learnings that can be transferred across geographies and and getting to witness this change and working on it. It's also very interesting, but also very deeply satisfying to feel that you're actually, actually contributing something.
1: Great. I think uh, we all will have a lot to learn from all the experiments that we are doing. At the end of the day, we are just trying to do our bit to the entire transformation that is happening by collaborative efforts of the entire ecosystem
0: absolutely absolutely i think that's going to be uh, that's going to be something that we're going to take forward uh, across not just this episode but i think for the coming episodes as well and i think uh, with that we are ending uh, episode 1 of this uh, podcast series so this is all we have for the first episode of highway to electric future and uh, thank you for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode uh, we're available for streaming on spotify google Podcasts, radio public and other major platforms and to know more about sheru please follow us on twitter instagram facebook linkedin and medium goodbye and see you next time